0: back to this episode of the Mirror Club. If this is your first time here, my name is Ben Kosichna and I'm the host of this show, which is essentially just about self-discovery, self-transcendence, self-acceptance, and self-love. And I have a really exciting guest today. Um, I will allow her to introduce herself, but she is the founder of Narachi Leadership and she has a wealth of wisdom to give us today. So welcome to the show, Rachel Naradzo Adams. Hi, Rachel. How are you?
1: Thank you for having me. I'm wonderful. I'm so happy to be a part
0: of this conversation with you today. Thank you. I'm glad that you that you accepted my invitation because um, basically I met Rachel at a webinar, which well, not a webinar. It was a seminar, which was basically about wellness and she had such a wealth of information to give and things that really resonated with me. Um, But I gave sort of like the Instagram or social media bio. I'd like to ask you from your own mouth, who is Rachel Nioranza-Adams? What are you about? What do you do? And what brought you to the place that you do what you do?
1: Oh, thank you so much. Um, Let me start from the back end of the the questions you asked, and then I'll move forward uh, to explain what I do now. So... um, Sure. My journey um, was initially a lot about just being in recognition of how ungrounded I was, how nervous I was, how fearful I was to be in the world, how disconnected I felt from myself. It felt like I lived outside of my body Um, and I felt this ever since I was a child. Um, And I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, the kind of experiences I was having uh, as a child um, that, that acted to, I think, disconnect me from authentic self, authentic power, that acted to disconnect me from a sense of feeling like I had permission to be in the world um so I was cons- consistently questioning my right to be here my right to be in a room my right to experience things and and I and I remember also being profoundly aware that this felt wrong it felt like there's something wrong with this way of being in the world surely there must be another way of being in the world you know and I would often watch people who seemed very sure of themselves or who seemed very grounded and I thought what is that I I want more of that, I want to experience more of that. And so that started me off on a journey since as far as I can remember of consistently asking, how can I experience differently? Um, And so I started to notice when there were shifts and I started to take cognizance of those shifts and what was causing those shifts. And I'm sure we can talk a little bit more about that later, but essentially my life experience led me to the work of people development i i finished my education in zimbabwe i did up until you know a levels and i'd always been interested in the humanities and arts and when i went to university what really stood out for me was walking into an anthropology class uh i was trying to i was shopping for classes and trying to figure out what i wanted to study and i walked into this anthropology class and anthropology as you would know is the the study of, of people the study of cultures the people study of norms and values etc And I fell in love. I felt like it was the first time I was engaging with a discourse that was answering real questions about real human beings and and why we make the choices we make and why we construct life the way that we do. And that set me on a journey of working with people. Uh, So now I um, I do work in leadership development and transformation. I work with leaders, with individuals, with organizations. um, And the idea is to give them tools for personal mastery and for peak performance and for coherence um, within the group and within the self. Um, And essentially, I've been doing that work now my entire career. Actually, I started off at Allen Gray, then at McKinsey, then at Yale. Yale was a little bit of a detour long story but basically my work has been with working with people Uh, and 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 really I say that a lot of my work is about helping people remember who they are helping people reconnect with what it means to be in relationship with all of the pure potentiality that exists inside of us and to be able to show up daily in the power of that, um, so whether you're an individual or you're a team, it's the same thing. What is your purpose? What is your the the fullest the fullest version of yourself of your or of yourselves? And how can you access that? So that's essentially the work that I
0: do. That's beautiful. Um, well, today's topic is to do with. Um, dealing with heal- dealing with and healing from your childhood experiences, and you did touch on how like experiences kind of molded you into the person that you are, and about kind of like anthropology and understanding why we are the way that we are. So I guess my first question to you is: How does our childhood shape our sense of self? Because on the Mirror Club, we're really we're really into the idea of like trying to understand like who am I. What am I about? So, yeah, I was just wondering what about how does our childhood shape us or our sense of who we are as people?
1: Tremendously. I mean, all sorts of traditions have been speaking about this, you know, for time immemorial. You know, the Jesuits priests who, who said, you know, give me a child, um, below seven and I'll make you a man. You know, many psychologists argue that a lot of our wiring happens during our childhood years um, and that the rest of our lives really become a repetition of that wiring. Um, um, There's an institute called Kaiser Permanente based in the United States that does a lot of research around how do childhood experiences influence the way that adults then show up in their lives and so there are multiple disciplines that are looking at what does this all mean and really what we know is that your childhood experiences become the foundation of how you show up in the world now while they influence the way you show up they don't have to because they can certainly be work that's done to help heal a lot of the things that we experience But in reality, they certainly do. And and many of us are in many ways replaying our childhoods in our adult life. Um, And so a lot of um, the work that I had to do on myself was about revisiting some of the childhood experiences that I had and seeing how they influence the way I perceive myself and perceive my life experiences and, you know, trying to undo the impact that they had on self-esteem you know on on self-actualization on the way in which i perceive relationships and the way in which i enter relationships before i even perceive them um and so it's important that we always be in relationship with the fact that our childhoods do have implications. Uh, in fact, the research done by uh, Kaiser Permanente shows that, um, for example, children who've been who've experienced traumas in their childhood uh, are more likely, for example, to be diabetic, develop cancers, um, become alcoholic, um, be suicidal, and have mental health issues. And they call them they call them adverse childhood effects or aces and you can actually look this up and there's an assessment if you if you googled aces kaiser permanente there's an assessment you can actually take online that shows you how many of these aces you have and how it may be impacting your life and the aces range from you know um, abusive experiences to being in an environment that is unstable you know to feeling under threat and all of these as a collective then influence If you imagine not only your biology, because children who are continually stressed are continually then producing cortisol and adrenaline into their systems and inflaming their systems. And so over time, the system is overloaded and overburdened with stress hormones, which then impacts, for example, resilience so how can you be resilient in the world when your system has been stressed for so long um already since you're a child so it's so important for parents to understand this but i think even more so it's important for people who've been through these experiences to understand Firstly, that the impact you're experiencing is not imagined and it's not you being dramatic because, you know, sometimes within a accuse you're being dramatic. Everybody's been through this stuff, you know, and, and it's true. There is, I think, by virtue of the world we are born into and the stresses that come with it, a lot of us experience a number of things. But the more you experience these things, you know, the more likely you're going to have... Um, some difficulty in the world working through what it means to be a self and what it means to self actualize and what it means to be a part of a community and so we shouldn't take it for granted so it's important for those people who've been through that stuff to know that it's real and then secondly to pursue whatever healing they 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 can in order to to course correct some of these things as they happened
0: and i remember at the seminar where i heard you speaking you did go over some of these ACs I think is how you pronounce them Um, and I I think because a lot of people might not realize that they actually had traumatic childhoods or certain things that have that adversely affect them now so I was wondering if if you do have it off the top of your head if you could like maybe go through some of them because I remember you even like referring to things like neglect and those can actually have an adverse effect and some people might be like I'm fine I didn't have like you know sexual abuse or like physical abuse in my childhood so I'm fine but then yeah I guess I'm curious what for more of a breakdown of those things so people can actually know like okay maybe I do have some things to actually look back at and you know undo or whatever yeah.
1: Absolutely. So under the abuse piece, it's, um, and I hope I remember all of them. Um, it's emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Um, there's a fourth one now that I'm, 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 I'm forgetting, but it's, it's stuff that has to do with impact on the self, right? So things that were done to you said to you, um, that you then embodied, right, because they were being done to the physical body, but also to the emotional, psychological state. Um, And, you know, in our cultures, we don't often talk about being hit, for example, as physical abuse. And actually, it is right. I remember reading I can't remember where I was reading this, but years, years ago, when I started to do this work, I remember reading somewhere that said, you know, for a child, they can't tell the difference between being slapped and being punched. It's the same thing for the child. It's, it's a visceral, um, traumatic experience. That's kind of like, why is this abuse being, being given to me? And in fact, Alfred Adler, um who is a psychologist that most people don't know about people tend to know about freud and jung they don't know about alfred adler but one of the things he talks about is the the danger of reprimanding children um of using these violent tactics to get children to do what you want and what he showed was that you know it's actually not a mechanism to correct children it's a mechanism to control children right and so it has a lot to do with the parents anxiety And so, you know, so we we tend to underestimate the impact these things have on children and even with their dynamic of the world. Um, In fact, I was having a conversation just recently with somebody who was saying that, you know, when when they had an experience and they would cry, they'd be told, you know, you don't you big girls don't cry. And so and so, what happened is it invalidated whatever experiences that they were having. And, and that's, so that's emotional abuse. You are not allowing emotions, which are energy in motion, to pass through a child's system because you're telling them that's an incorrect emotion. And that's problematic, right? Because actually that emotion is valid and the child should be able to experience it so that in their older years, they know how to process emotions. You know, so so that's very important, know. yeah. And then um, the other the other aces fall under the category of the environment. So, for example, was there drug taking in your environment? Was there alcoholism in your vi- environment? Did you watch a parent being beat, um, or being um, violated in some kind of way? And then the other aces fall under neglect. So. Were you physically neglected as a child? You know, were you well-fed? Did you have um, access to the kinds of resources that you needed in order for your growth and development to be healthy? Um, And so if you, you know, all of these experiences count as, as traumas. And remember, trauma basically means that, you know, life is disrupted in a way that has huge impact on the system and that sends us into these processes of grief or of 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 feeling uh, violated um of feeling neglected not being seen not being heard etc um and so I love your question because you're right in our cultures we tend to not see all of these things as traumas it's just it's it's part of life um exactly ian leslie there's a book by ian leslie called born liars which is fascinating because one of the things he um, said in that book is that when children for example are hit a lot as when they're younger they have a tendency to lie more why because they experience that there's always a, there's always a dramatic um, consequence to my behavior. And so now they develop a mechanism to self protect. And so you'll find that they start to lie much more, um, or they feel like they can't really own up to a mistake, right? So you do something wrong, and you're trying to cover up you know or you don't know something and you don't feel like you have permission to say i don't know can you tell me what that is because in your brain you're thinking if i don't know i'm going to get into trouble so imagine what this does for learning for creativity for possibilities for innovation when you feel like the consequence of exploration is too high um you know so it creates this false sense of unsafety in the world that then has impact for the rest of our lives
0: yeah I totally resonate with that. Um, I grew up in an environment where I used to get beaten a lot to the point that now when I've spoken about it as an adult, um family extended family members have come in and be like you can't say that that's abusive your parents gave you everything like just that was the norm in our family like kids get beaten and being told like people bringing bibles to tell me see the bible says spare the rod spoil the child being beaten is like normal but i see so many things now as an adult where like i am deathly afraid of conflict well i'm working through that now now i can actually like say how I feel about something but I'm always like denying my own feelings so that there's no conflict because in my mind conflict is always the result is always violence towards me right or like things like um like yeah just like you're saying wanting to maybe um lie about certain things make things not seem as bad as they are even in terms of like my relationships where um maybe it's friendships or romantic relationships generally I'm always earnestly trying to do my best Um, when I come to someone I'm always trying to do right by them because that was the way I was brought up it's like your existence is supposed to be completely um, accommodating to us so I'm always trying to be accommodating to other people that when I maybe make a mistake and hurt somebody then they call me out on it it's like I get so defensive and in my mind I'm like there's no way there's no way that I was trying to do that because I know my intentions my intentions I'm always trying to do right by you and it's because instead of It being like, oh, okay, this person was hurt by what I've done. It's very simple to just take a step back and apologize. You get defensive because... The punishment is so dire in your mind when you also because also when I was growing up, I would get beaten for things that i didn 't actually intend on doing like it 's like oh you 're being deceitful and it 's like yo no i didn 't mean to do that I just so that 's how these things kind of end up showing up in i guess your adulthood so i guess i 'm curious um, if there's some things that you typically find in people that it's like a, a, tr- a personality trait, a habit, or whatever it is, and you're like, okay, I can trace this back directly to something that's going that went down in your childhood. And um, I guess what I'm more curious about are some of the more socially acceptable things that we look at and we're like, oh, okay, that's just normal. Are there any that you look at and you see? For me, one of the big ones in Zim is like alcoholism, where it's just very acceptable, but it's like okay maybe there's some things that need to be dealt with I don't know what what have you seen in your work that are very typical um indicators
1: yeah isn't it fascinating alcoholism it's and again if you think of the aces it I think there's a national conversation around our child rearing habits you know and I must say as we as we launch into this part of the conversation that I think it's important to also understand that our parents did the best that they could, right? They they, they did what they understood and had been taught to understand is the way to raise children. You know, so yeah. they actually didn't know any different um and i and i my assumption i'd like to assume that if they did they would have done differently but you know you can only work with the information that you have um but yeah i mean it's everything it's small things for example actually let me not call them small things because they tend to actually then lead to big Implications in the world, you know, so I also work from an embodied perspective somatic what we call somatic coaching so working and looking at the body and observing what happens in the system, and you know, for example, I come across many people with very tight jaws. Um, And often, often that is usually a sign that people are holding back on speaking whatever it is they believe to be true for them right or they're always correcting the way they talk right and so the self-consciousness leads to almost a tightening because you're holding back, but it can also be linked a lot of the time to nervousness that has been held in the system. You know, people who are very stiff in the shoulders, are, you know, there's probably a lot of fear, a lot of sort of you're grasping onto <laughs> <laughs> hypervigilance, <laughs> you know, hypervigilance, holding energy in, um, sometimes also even people who are, um, overly jocular you know continually making jokes about everything and laughing through everything because they're trying to mask the pain that they're feeling inside or they're masking um whatever it is that is burdening them internally and they don't know how to articulate um but you know to your point everything from believing that it's okay to beat your wife or beat your husband by the way that's something we don't talk about in our society but there are women who beat their husbands this also happens right but also not just physical abuse physical abuse abuse verbal abuse emotional abuse in our in our adult relationships as a sign of you know the anger that we've carried from childhoods about things that we didn't experience you know alcoholism what are we trying to numb um we live in a society that often isn't very good at articulating emotions likely for the reasons that you mentioned and i mentioned a little bit earlier and so people resort to whatever numbs them so they can't so they don't emote so they don't feel anything what's of course ironic is that they, they then create other emotions that they then have to deal with after the drunkenness uh when they're sober so you know I, there are many things we could name. The I think the question becomes, are we willing to have the courageous conversation, number one, about what we do about this, but number two, about how many of us are still carrying forward those same child-rearing methods with our children now, right? Um, because we also now don't know better, because that's the way that we were also raised. Um, You know we take for granted that parents don't get a a, often don't get a guidebook um and and certainly i see a lot of guidebooks now about the physicality of raising a child but often we don't talk about for example the stages of development of a child and what they are developing um characteristically at different stages of their growth and so what are the things to watch out for so for example when we talk about the terrible twos terrible threes why are children like this why are they throwing tantrums at that age because psychologically they are now developing willpower they've now learned that I am an I I am a me right so they've come into this realization so part of child development is testing those boundaries but then what happens is parents get frustrated right because they're like why is this child being this way often because we don't know that they are developing this we this this i sorry this me and so what we try and do is we try to stifle it you know we try to stop them don't do that stop it and, you know, sometimes justifiably so because, you know, we've got jobs to do. We are frustrated, you know, uh, we are also pressed for time. So, you know, I can't be telling you that you can't, you know, you, you I want you to wear the blue dress versus the, the the black dress. I don't know whatever it is that you're going through in that moment. But it's so important to recognize that if you stop the child from that experimentation, what you are then doing is you're dampening their sense of self. And so they may go through the world feeling like they have no willpower. So they start things and they don't finish them. They, you know, they continually self-doubt and and asking for permission in the world. All of those can be symptoms of traumas that were experienced in, in that phase of life where I was developing my me you know and so there's lethargy around my me in my adult life because in my childhood life it was it was dampened and and you know and and it's different things for different people psychologists will tell us that some people go into excessive behavior some people go into deficient behaviors it just depends on on the child and what they were interpreting during that time and you know there you go um and before you know it you've got a grown adult who's grappling with stuff that they don't understand but why do i always grapple with this and if they only understood this whole process they might be able to better explain what they're doing and how they can start to heal it
0: so when people i guess recognize certain things inside them that maybe they're like okay i can trace this back to my childhood what are the processes that they could start to go through i guess like the hard conversation that you were speaking about where it's realizing okay i have some healing to do where does one begin when they're just faced with wow these are all my dysfunctions that stem from my formative years
1: yeah absolutely i mean an obvious one is therapy right an obvious one is any modality that will help you in a healthy way to revisit some of the things that that took place and to process them out of your system because you know we hold energy inside our system so for example people i tend to experience with a tight jaw also get a blockage in their throat right so when they're trying to speak the other people say i feel a lump in my throat because why that's energy that's been constricted there because of things that have been unsaid conversations that need to be had truths that need to be spoken and so therapy helps us to process well what are those things where do you need to go and have courageous conversations where do you need to have closure so so therapy is one modality and you know lots of people in our culture don't believe in therapy (laughs) you know people say ah Jesus will heal me or you know Allah you know inshallah and i always say you know yes religion plays a huge role in terms of our healing journeys and that's valid but some things aren't just processed it can't just be processed processed in the spiritual right or the esoteric they have to be processed from your mind from your body what does that psychology look like what does that embodiment look like so therapy is one you know um, coaching is another right finding somebody who has who can give language to some of the things that you're experiencing and help you have those ahas about oh so that's what that means oh that's what that does so what can I do do about it um somatic somatic modalities of healing you know the soma of course comes is the, the 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 root of the word soma is the body so somatic things, healing are things that take certain energy blockages out of your system, right? So people do various things, Reiki, um, sound therapy works for some people. Some people do child regression um, uh, therapies that take them back into childhoods, uh, but literally by almost doing a traveling journey backwards. Hypnosis, you know, some psychologists will argue that your, that your 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 trauma is actually held in your subconscious mind right so speaking to the conscious mind some psychologists argue isn't really helpful because then you're trying to heal in the conscious mind what's in the subconscious so hypnosis helps you go into the subconscious and then you can work through the healing there so I think it's up to each person to experiment and discover what works for them you know if you go to one thing and it doesn't work don't be disheartened there are many many things that can work for you you know if you go online and just look up you know traumatic therapy or traumatic healing there will be you know eons and eons of things that you can do I think what's wonderful is that people can heal, right? You can actually work through your stuff and you can teach your body to show up differently. So, you know, as an example, I used to struggle to articulate anger um, because I was also brought up to believe that actually your emotions are are not valid, right? So, you know, we are all just trying to make it through life. So, you know, keep it to yourself. you know, get over it, work through it. And, and so what I learned over time is that there's no permission to express what is truest for me, especially when something was angering me. So I was very passive aggressive. You know, people would ask me, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you upset? No, I'm fine. Do you want to talk about, no, not really. You know, and it was like one of those where I wanted, I wanted to speak up, but I didn't know how. Um, and I was one of those lump in my throat type people. Some people, have butterflies in their stomach, knots in their stomach. You know, they, some people feel their sides numbing or, you know, people have different energy centers where they tend to, to be alerted to the fact that something is wrong. For me, it was a lump in my throat. But, you know, I had to learn, my body had to learn how to how to exert energy outwardly because of because of the fear when I was growing up I held energy internally so you know I always sort of had this very I looked on the outside posturally very like confident because I walked straight and things like that but actually what it was was not confidence it was hyper vigilance it was me mm-hmm. trying to puff up to to sort of create this who's about to attack me next so that I can so that I can protect myself um yeah. but but in but really what I was doing was holding energy internally I didn't know how to speak out and to just say things you know to say you've really upset me so I'd be in a relationship and my partner is doing something that hurts me and I just pretend like I'm fine I'd not know how to say but I don't like it when you do that just to say that was for me it could take months for me to get those words out of my mouth and so somatic healing for example was learning what we call the warrior body I learned how to ah, you know how to I couldn't even do that I remember the first time I had to do that exercise I was like but what is that why would I that's so undignified why would I do that you know <laughs> so it was literally learning to go ah outwardly so I could get this shit out out, out of me Um, And it was the most exhilarating thing to learn that, you know, some psychologists, for example, get you to hit pillows or hit punching bags, because some people have so much rage inside of them that they've never articulated. So get it out of your system so that you can make room for other emotions to emerge. Some people define emotions as energy in motion. If you stop that energy from moving, it gets stuck somewhere. And then it becomes a pattern in your life to just keep hipping on on that stuckness. You know, and then we start getting sick. Our bodies start getting sick. You know, we produce too much, too many stress hormones in our system. Some people are addicted to adrenaline. My my, uh, good teacher, Dr. Ilamanga, talks about how people can be so adrenalized, they get addicted to adrenaline. So you go to work and everything is rah, rah, rah. Then what exercise do you do? You go running rah, rah, rah. Same thing because you, and you're saying, oh, I'm releasing tension. Actually, you're creating more tension, but you're addicted to it. And you don't even realize that you're addicted to stress. Stress can be addictive. So it's all of these things that people don't know, yet there's so many modalities that you can access to help you get it out of your system.
0: Wow. That's, Wow, that was a lot packed into, and thank you. Thank you for those. No, not, I'm not even saying it in a bad way. I'm, like, grateful for all the nuggets, like, concentrated. Um, something interesting about what you were saying just about, like, your subconscious and trying to heal your subconscious. I was um, reading something somewhere. This girl, her name is New Mindframe on YouTube, and she sometimes just channels messages about, like, healing. She doesn't have any formal training, but, like, she's been on the self-healing journey. And she was mentioning how, like... Um, Sometimes to understand the messaging that's going on in your subconscious, you should just look at the state of your life around you and then it can actually give you clues to like some of the messaging that's going on. So, for example, like if you constantly like have a room that's not clean or if you refuse to like go work out or whatever, maybe if you trace back, it's kind of like. Yeah, like tracing back from that from that thing, you can see that it's like, oh, maybe you're saying I don't deserve to live in a space that um, that makes me happy or that's like, you know, beautiful and fulfilling. Or it's like you might be telling yourself I'm not worth putting in that energy to go work out or to do this or to do that. Um, so I thought that that was interesting. Um, yeah, just an interesting tip to kind of hack your subconscious and see what's going on. Like, Or if you're having relationships with people and you can't speak up for yourself, what does that mean? Maybe it means that somewhere in your subconscious you're telling yourself that other people's emotions are more important than yours or whatever. So I thought that was interesting. Um, Absolutely.
1: Spot on. I would agree with that.
0: But uh, yeah, I guess one of the things that I have noticed in my life and in other people as well um, that maybe they carry into their... Uh, adulthood, is the things that they say to themselves. In general, just our minds are always going full of thoughts, and those thoughts can kind of affirm our sense of self um, for for better or for worse. So I guess I wanted to speak about, like, um, punishing self-talk and how somebody can potentially, that might be stemming from their childhood, and how do you think are the ways that people can stop themselves from having those thoughts because some people might be like for me for example when I was super depressed and I had a lot of punishing self-talk my mom would just be like happiness is a choice it? and I'd be like do you think I want to be depressed like of course I don't want this stuff going on in my mind but it felt so real and it felt like I couldn't I couldn't come out on top of the thoughts it felt like they were crushing me so do you have any kind of tips that people can um, use to maybe just not have the noise feel so real and so kind of like crushing and like prison like.
1: Yeah. So silencing the mind techniques for silencing the mind, um, meditation, um, and there are different kinds of meditation, right? So you can do mindfulness meditation, um, Or some people do the kinds of meditation that are about chanting, for example, whether you're doing Ram or Om, whatever it is that, that creates this vibrational frequency. Um, But, you know, for many people, silencing the mind may be difficult when your whole intention is to silence the mind, right? So you get into the meditation and then it's like the mind doesn't stop because it keeps going. Um, And so, sometimes it's getting into activities that get you out of the mind so to your point exercise Uh, many people don't underestimate the impact of some form of exercise right that then that then creates a different hormonal because i think it's you know so the, the thing with the body is that it's it's a loop right things are happening in a loop so for example if i have certain negative thoughts and i'm stressing myself out then i start to create stress hormones then my system is inflamed and then my body is sending the signals that I'm stressed. So I go back into, oh, but now, oh my God, but now I'm feeling this way and my body's feeling this way. So I'm, it, it like creates this weird loop. And so what you want to do is to create a different set of hormones and produce a different set of hormones in your system. So for example, exercise is very good for creating dopamine, right? And creating that high in the system. So often people are, you know, brain, think of the, the, the four basic brain drivers, um, sleep, what you're eating exercise and silencing the mind right so you can go to any of those four sometimes your brain is foggy and your thoughts aren't clear or you're in stress mode because you aren't sleeping enough Um, the brain is an interesting um, entity in our systems because it cleans up only when you sleep that's when the brain is cleaning up so if you're not sleeping it's not decluttering itself Right. There's a, there's a Ted talk. In fact, I'll send you the link. You might want to share it um, on the, on the group. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say what the, what the, the neuroscientist was talking about because I may botch it. It's, it's very, it's a very technical aspect of neuroscience, but essentially when you go to bed and you sleep, your brain creates a system that allows itself to clean itself out. That is not existent during the daytime and so people underestimate the importance of sleep (laughs) right and we live in a culture that doesn't sleep we're netflixing we're working until late hours of the night and we think it's sexy to not sleep people say oh you know i was up the whole we take pride in not sleeping and it's like but now you're feeling foggy and you have no control over your thinking because your brain is tired it hasn't had a chance to replenish itself and so sleep is important you know what kinds of foods are you eating if you're eating the kinds of foods that inflame your system sugars and too much oils again that affects brain health right Um, exercise movement in the body so that you can create those you know the dopamines and the serotonin[s] that that make the body feel good the brain feel good and that way you can produce um, the kinds of thoughts that are healthy for you. but one, one practice that I tend to use, because very much I understand this busy mind, because I had a, have a mind that on its own won't stop, <laughs> right? It just goes on and on and on and on. You know, there was a time where it used to take me an hour, two hours to sleep because my mind just wouldn't stop. Two things that have helped me during the daytime, it's the ABC. Awareness, take a breath, make a different choice. Because... You know there's nothing wrong with thoughts per se because your the brains one of the brain's functions is to think right so so thoughts are what it's a function it's it's a sign of a healthy brain if you're thinking right but the problem is when the thinking takes over our lives and it becomes like you're saying these negative thoughts so it's to be aware what am i thinking because remember your emotions are also psychophysiological responses to your thoughts And so if you don't manage the thinking, you're going to start creating emotions that don't serve you. So awareness is, are these thoughts really true? Byron Katie, here's another hack, has a wonderful process where you question the thought. Is this really true? Right. Is this true? Can I prove that it is true? You know, what would I be? What would I be without this thought is the fourth one. I can't remember what the third one is, but there are these four questions to ask yourself about your thinking. So awareness, then take a breath. And that's literally twofold. Take a breath means just pause, just just pause. And what I find helps me, for example, is taking myself up from where I am. So for example, if I'm sitting here, which is my desk, which is where I work, and I start to, to get into this negative thought pattern, I just stand up, stand up and go somewhere else because just differently locating yourself puts your senses into contact with new information. And that will change your thoughts, but also literally take a breath breathe deeply. Many of us breathe up here, and that sends signals to the brain that you're stressed. Breathing deep belly breaths like a baby sends signals to your system that you're relaxed. And so just breathe. Even now when I do it, I can feel my system changes, right? I can feel my posture changes. I can feel my mind clears a little bit because ox good amounts of oxygen into your system. And then make a different choice. Thoughts are not you know they, they they are not these things i'm i'm still actually reacting to to that new breath thought you know th- thoughts don't have to control anybody unless you you're letting them so make a different choice means you know you know that you can have different thoughts and you can create new thoughts at night yoga nidra yoga nidra for sleep really helps to relax the system doing a body scan Breathing deeply, you know, unraveling the thoughts of the day, putting them away has helped me to access sleep more easily. So there's so many hacks that are out there in the world, right, that we can use that support our system, that help us get out of that negative um, thought spiraling that we can get into that then disrupts all of our life, really.
0: That was amazing. So many tips. So the last thing I think that I'm curious about that I've tended to see because me and my like peers in our age group are obviously in our 20s, the messy 20s where we're trying to unpack and figure things out. And one thing that I tend to see a lot is that when people come into contact with their parents who perhaps um, inflicted, as you said, it wasn't necessarily always conscious. It's just the way that they were the way that they thought they were supposed to parent, but inflicted certain abuse or, like, trauma upon these children, when they get back in contact with those parents, um, it's almost like they revert to their childhood self, and um, a lot of those traumas, like, continue to replay, and they're kind of stuck in this, um, this place where they can't really transcend it. Um, also, I noticed, like, a lot of um, just people really feeling, and this was me as well, for a very long time until recently, where, because they're your parents, you love them, they're like your first point of like, you know, contact and your first point of interaction all of the things that they continue to say to you today that might not necessarily be, like, helpful for your mental health or whatever still, like, have such a hold on you. And, like, you feel like you can't even speak to them sometimes about some of the things, maybe the issues that you have or some of the things that you're trying to unpack. You can't speak to them because it will send you back to that child who was kind of distraught and devastated by their parent reacting in this type of way. How can people transcend... um, Transcend that. For example, if they want to speak to their parents to get some type of closure, um, how can they allow themselves to do that without it like having all this weight? The way that the parent might react, or um, yeah, how can how can people just kind of get rid of the hold that our parents might still have on us even as adults? Because even though we are no longer children technically, um, in the child like the age sense, we are still children in terms of our relationship with them. So yeah, what can people do to help? to kind of hack that now in adulthood
1: i breathe so deeply into that question because it's the hardest question isn't it it's like you know what do you do with your parents they're your parents it's um it's a it's it's always going to be a tricky one um especially in cultures where the general belief is you don't tell your parents you don't you know you don't you know Say to them, "This is what you did, and this is how I feel about it." Because it's considered taboo. It's considered that's not what you do with parents, you know. Yeah. Um, I would say several things to that. The one is, and let's and not just parents, right? It may be an uncle, it may be an aunt, it may be some adult figure figure in your life, a guardian um, that inflicted something upon you. I'll say several things to it. Number one, radical healing um sometimes if the trauma is so intense that you're re-traumatizing every time you're in the presence of this person you may have to call for a timeout. you know so for example you know if you were raped by an uncle or an aunt or you know you were molested you were you know you experienced some really deep trauma to be in the presence of that person opens that wound again and again and you and you're supposed to then you know smile and pretend like everything is fine and and that also betrays your experience and I would say you know it may well be because you're now you're no longer a child you're an adult so you have permission to say listen I don't want to be in your presence I can't be in your presence and so I'm calling time out on this so If you're present, I'm just not going to be there. That's a choice that's available to you. And people often feel like it's a choice that's not. It is. You don't have to keep going back into the presence of people who created these kinds of traumas. Um, Number two, courageous conversations, right? And people say, you know, what's the definition of a courageous conversation? It's the conversation you don't want to have. Right? And so it's it's opening up the can of worms and saying, guys, this is what I experienced, and this is how I experienced it. And I think it's important that you know and understand that. You know, some years ago, I don't know if my mom will watch this, and I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this because I think it really healed us. You know, my mom and I have an interesting I love my mom to death. Like my mom is literally like my hero. But you know, like any other relationship, you know, we had our stuff and and Oh my God, the, the one year we had this epic fight. And I remember this was about five, five years ago. I remember sort of going into this conversation going, oh, I can't tell my mom anything cause she's my mom. And also, you know, I was like, what if she has a heart attack and she dies? What will I do? <laughs> and then all my siblings would be like, you killed our mother. I was terrified, but there was so much I needed to say, and I just needed her to know it. And so before I knew it, I remember just saying, Rachel say what you need to say just speak it out and we got into this i mean we were we were like having it i mean we're not I'm sorry i'm doing that we're not punching each other it was words it was a words fight emotionally. emotion we were emotionally <laughs> having it she said her piece i said my piece we didn't talk for a good two months after that
0: mm-hmm.
1: can i tell you this healed my relationship with my mother mm-hmm. And so I also ask people what you think you don't have permission for, are you sure you don't? Now, of course, speaking truth has consequences in the world. You can't control what's on the other end of the response. But I certainly think there's an invitation to children and parents to sit it out and be like, listen, this is what happened. not sit it out, sit together with it, sorry. Sit together with it and be like, this is what happened this is how it made me feel and i'm telling you this because why and i just want to let you know that i let it go i forgive you or there's some things that need to happen for me to be able to forgive you we have to give ourselves permission to have these conversations otherwise we carry stuff for time immemorial um and then the other piece is acceptance i think many people then don't get over traumatic things in the past because they haven't accepted them just accept that it happened you can't reverse time it's happened acceptance doesn't mean you tolerate what happens it just means you accept it so you can let it go so I can't undo that there was physical abuse I can't undo that there was sexual abuse I can't undo that there was emotional abuse it was there it happened it's done but acceptance allows me to forgive and move past it so that I don't let the past interfere with the present. Um, and so acceptance is a big piece. And when we go into conversations with acceptance, we also, they, they are then less loaded because we are not saying, I wish you had been different. We are saying, cause they can't be different. You're just saying, this is the consequence of your action. I just want you to know. So, you know, give yourself permission. You, you, you never know. You never know how much leeway you have to have conversations until you try them.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I love that. I love that sentiment because definitely I and a lot of people who've come up in probably cultures that are very traditional, very conservative. It definitely can sometimes feel like that's not an option. Speaking to my parents, no, I can't. Like, don't open that kind of worms. And people will affirm that thought. Like, yeah, you can't do that. That's not what we do. But it's true. We do have that choice. We do have that option. And if it's something that will help you, then I think people should go for it. So, yeah. And it will help them. I think what we also don't realize.
1: One of the things that was fascinating about my conversation with my mother is she said to me months later, she said, you know, you've taught me something that I didn't know before she said i didn't know that children were different and that touched my heart because she realized in the conversation with me that she was treating all of her children like they were one entity but she had neglected that we had different personality types we we, we evolved differently and we experience the world differently and so i healed myself but i also healed her in one aspect And there's this wonderful saying that I love that says, you know, when you heal yourself, you heal your ancestry. And I think it's so true because you'll be surprised how because remember, likely what you're experiencing with your parents is a pattern. It also happened to them, likely. So when you bring it up, you are allowing them to be in conversations they probably wouldn't have would never have been and probably can never have with their parents because probably they're no longer here. But you, you start a healing process. But I think, like I said, it's the way you enter the conversation. We enter them with acceptance, not with accusations. And there are certainly so many conversations I've had in my past that I regret because I entered with, with I entered them with accusations. And that's not helpful because people just become defensive. But we can certainly enter those conversations in a much more accepting and loving way that actually helps the other person heal too.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This has also been healing for me. Um, yeah, that acceptance part is so important. But, yeah, thank you so much for joining me, Rachel. I know that this is going to be very helpful for a lot of people. So thank you for taking the time. Um, where can people find you? I'd love to kind of plug it in the information and, yeah, just let us know.
1: Absolutely. So you can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook either at narachi leadership uh, which is the name of my consultancy where we do it and our work merges neuroscience uh, ontology psychology and anthropology to basically bring about this um, this healing and coherence for people or you can find me personally on at rachel narazo adams on the same platforms
0: cool Thank you everyone, please do go follow Rachel and please do like, comment and subscribe under this channel for more conversations like this. (laughs) Bye-ya. Thanks Rachel, thank you so much. I believe that if we are honest with ourselves that the most fascinating problem in the world is who am I? What do you mean? What do you feel when you say the word I? I myself. I don't think there can be any more fascinating preoccupation than that. Because it's so mysterious. It's so elusive.